I love that new remix of our opening music. Yes, a big shout out to uh, my coworker Stephen who remixed our original soundtrack and. Dang, well, I just have to call you out, man. Um, Daniel can attest to this. Yeah. I just had goosebumps. Like, some of that music was just like, it really is kind of a chilling track. And then, like, it just kind of stops and boom. And I was like, yeah. ah. So thank you, Stephen, for doing that for <laughs> yes, us. Yes, yes. We love it. Thank you so much. Hope y'all like it, too. And hello. Yeah. Hey. Welcome. Welcome back to Chilled and Thrilled. We're coming off a two-part series on the abduction of J.C. Lee Dugard. If you haven't heard those, check it out. Brittany did an awesome job Thank you. on those two. That was really, really good. And I've got what I think is going to be a good one for you here. I'm really excited. I already kind of know the story, but I don't know a whole lot, and it's been a while since I've heard it, so I'm excited to learn more because I know you took it, you did a deep dive. You read like a, what you read a book about it, right? You, what was right. the book? Right. I'll, I'll, I have the, the name of the book. I don't want to get the title wrong. Oh, okay. But, um, but uh, yeah, it's one that Brittany actually suggested for me. She said, hey, you're doing this one next. And I was like, okay. I don't know much about it. but Y'all see how this relationship works. <laughs> I was like, all right, sounds good. <laughs> no problem. All right. But, yeah, uh, this is the murders of Darlie Routier and her family. She was accused of murdering her two sons. And this one actually hits pretty close to home for a couple reasons. Yes. One, because we have a couple kids. And also because it actually literally hits close to home. Yes. We're not going to triangulate our um, location. But suffice it to say, it hits close to home. Yeah. So there's a a special tie in there so Mm -hmm. that you know had some more interests because it talks about some of the locations that we're familiar with so exactly so i'm excited to share the story with you and some of the stuff that i learned but um and i just want to make sure i her i thought her name was darlene it's darley darley d-a-r-l-i-e and how do you say the last name routier routier I had to had to look into that, had to watch some things to get Did it. Did you have Google say it for you? <laughs> I do that all the time. Well, sometimes it's just somebody puts that up there and they have a computer pronounce it and the computer yeah. could be way off. Yeah. So. Well, Google has a feature now where you can have them speak it, but then you can even turn on the slow button so it <laughs> pronounces it slowly. <laughs> I need a slow awesome. button for my life. <laughs> Yeah. My whole life is a slow button. I don't know. You There's need a joke. To speed the hell up. There's button. a joke there somewhere, but yeah. as unusual, I miss it. Absolutely. Well, I'm I'm excited to hear this. Again, I know a little bit about it, but not a ton. So if you're ready, I want to jump right in. All right. Here we go. Well, Darlie Lynn Peck was her maiden name. She met her husband Darren in Lubbock, Texas, actually when they were teenagers. She was 15 at the time, and she was working at a Western Sizzlin' Steakhouse. I don't know if you remember those. Real high-class joints. Uh, Her mom actually worked there. Her mom's name is Darley Key. Same name? First name. Same first name, but she has, like, Darley Key. They just keep them apart. Okay. She goes by Darley Key, apparently. Okay, gotcha. Well, Darley and Darren were married only four years later. That was in 1988. And their first son, Devin, was born less than a year later in 89. So somebody like, oh, they probably got pregnant on their honeymoon. Cool. Well, Darren had started building circuit boards out of their home. And he was apparently doing pretty well at it, turned it into a business, started doing pretty well. So they're moving on up to the east side to a deluxe apartment, except not. They built a house in a town called Rowlett, which is a suburb to the east of Dallas. Now, I want to make sure everybody like who is not from this area, we're going to have a little phonetic lesson here. When you see Rowlett, it looks like Rowlett. It is not pronounced Rowlett. You have to say it with a growl. A Rowlett. Rowlett. Just look at the owl in the middle of mm-hmm. it and make sure you say owl. If you R- have owl kids, it. you might have remembered the show PJ Masks. And there was a girl in the gear. Her character, her superhero character was Owlette. Just add a rrr on the beginning of that. You That's got a good way to Rowlet. think of it. If you've never heard of the show PJ Masks, you can just disregard that. Forget you ever heard yeah. it. Sorry, sidetrack, but that was like a really big thing. Because I know mm-hmm. sometimes pronouncing it, people are like, what? Go ahead. So they built their house out in Rowlett, again, east of Dallas. Big old house um, in 1991. 
that was the same year their second son, Damon, was born. And business is doing well. Darren bought a Jaguar, uh, bought a big old boat. And then in 1995, their youngest son, Drake, was born. So okay. all, all kids have the D names. So three so boys. Devin, Damon, and Drake. Got it. And people who knew the Routier family, they describe uh, Darley as a doting mother. She was a stay-at-home mom. She was involved in all the kids' activities, you know, birthday parties. She had her own group of friends. She would go out and do, you know, mom's not in the town, that sort of thing. Um, The oldest boy, Devin, they said he was always being silly, trying to make people laugh. Sort of a fearless daredevil type of a character. I love it. And the middle boy, Damon, was more reserved and cautious. Mm-hmm. You've seen the the memes about true crime documentaries, like it was the perfect family until they weren't. Right. That sort of thing. Well, as far as anyone could tell, everything was going great with the Routiers mm. until the night of June 6th, 1996. Some people write it as 666. Oh, dang. I didn't even put that together until you said that. Yikes. Yeah. So... It was beginning of summer vacation. The boys wanted to do a little sleepover downstairs. As kids, you know, they want to do something. So Darlie's like, okay, that's fine. Y'all sleep down here. I'll sleep on the couch. She was uh, watching TV on the on the couch, fell asleep on the couch. Uh, and Darren was upstairs with the seven-month-old baby at that time. Is that Drake? Yes. Okay. That night, 911 got a call from Darlie saying someone had broken into their house and stabbed her and the children and her boys were dying. That takes a turn, right? Yeah. So you sound like you you look like you're about to say something, but you just couldn't so find the word. So a long time ago, I had applied to be a um, 911 dispatcher. And when you said that, I just thought I, I could never have done that job. I'm glad I didn't get Dodged into a bullet it. there. Yes. Oh, gosh, stress. But I yeah, can't okay. imagine getting that call or having to hear the, oh mm-hmm. yeah and they always have to try to encourage people to keep calm trying to dispatch the help and one side and then give information instructions on the other side and this is no exception um you hear the operator encouraging her to calm down so they can get more information from her she's trying to send police and paramedics to the house you can tell based on the conversation that her husband comes downstairs at some point you were here, say, Darren, I don't know who it was. I saw them, Darren. We got to find out who it was. You can hear Darlie talking to her boys. Damon, hold on, honey. Do you want this or that? And then she says oh. to the dispatcher, I'm talking to my babies. They're dying. Um, yeah. Operator's like, what's going on? Somebody came in while I was sleeping. Me and my little boys were sleeping downstairs. Some man came in, stabbed my babies, stabbed me. I woke up. I was fighting. He ran out through the garage, threw the knife down. My babies are dying. They're dead. Oh, my God. Oh, my That's from the transcript. Oh, Jesus. And you hear saying, hold on, honey. Hold on. And the dispatcher, of course, stays on the line until police arrive. And Darlie's talking about how they left through the garage but left a knife on the floor. They tell her not to touch it, but she said, I already picked it up. And she said, nothing else is touched. Nothing else is touched. And the call ends with the police arriving at the front door. Gotcha. Both the boys sustained fatal injuries. Darlie was taken to the hospital to be treated for a stab to her shoulder and a large slash across her neck, narrowly missing her carotid artery. Darlie had told police that she had woken to see an intruder attacking one of the boys. Um, And she got up and chased him off. Apparently she mentioned in there that that she was struggling with him at somewhere, and he dropped the knife on the way out. She picked it up to try to chase him out. She also said there was a struggle at some point, uh, as evidenced by major bruising on her arms that we'll have pictures of, as if somebody had been holding her down with both hands on her arms. She and Theron cooperated the best they could with investigators from the Rowlett Police Department being called in multiple times for questioning while trying to make funeral arrangements for their kids. Eight days after the murders, the family visited the gravesite for a a longer, solemn sort of memorial time together as a family. But it was also slash sort of a party, a celebration for what would have been Devin's seventh birthday. They wanted to honor him that way because he was about to turn seven. I can't even imagine 
they must have been so, I almost want to say numb, just, you know, after everything, like just kind of going through motions at that point. Oh my God. Yeah. And they were just trying to do something to the best they to can. honor them. Yeah. yeah. I mean, how can you even put yourself in that position? Without I don't having want been to. There? Yeah. Well, for, for Devin, they had sort of a party, um, and because Devin loved silly string so much, a family member suggested, hey, let's get some of this and let's spray it around just, you know, in, in his memory. So they were doing that as they sang happy birthday and had sort of a lighter moment. Uh, what they didn't know is somebody was hiding off to the side recording this whole thing. Somebody? Yeah, I, I'm not. I apologize. I don't remember exactly who it was. Was it but news people or was it I, like I think a, it might have been like a journalist or somebody uh, trying okay. to trying to get the scoop on it. But it did it ended up on the news. The video Yikes. ended up on the news. They didn't show the solemn memorial of them there crying and comforting each other. They showed the part where they're being all happy and and smiling and laughing and singing and spraying the silly string. Four days later, Darley Routier was arrested and charged with capital murder. This was a total blindside to them, according to them. Some of the family had started to suspect that they were focusing on Darley or Darren or both of them based on all the questioning they had done and the lines of questioning, and they kept bringing them back in. Um, But routiers say they were absolutely caught off guard by this. And, of course, the the arrest itself was as big of a story as the murders were, if not more. Yeah. uh, Because it's, you know, it's a... Relatively young mother, suburban mother, murdering her kids. This is, you know, people eat that type of story up because they try to figure, okay, what causes somebody to do that sort the of thing? The thing I think of the most with this case is that mugshot because she is clearly crying in the process of them taking this picture. So she's not looking at the camera. She's kind of looking off to the side like she's trying to catch her breath. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can tell this woman is in distress. She looks confused. Still yeah. at that point in that mugshot. And we'll have a, a copy of it. Absolutely. For you. And there's a picture of her being sort of hauled in by Rowlett Police Department, uh, which as we go through this, a lot of people say maybe they were in over their head. The The town of Rowlett has, has grown a whole lot since then. Yeah. Um, but, but they it's didn't. Still a they relatively didn't, small town, right? And you know, at that time, anyway, crime wasn't too bad in that suburb, so they didn't have to deal with this sort of thing very much, if not often. Right. Um, so some people feel, you know, after the fact commentary that maybe their, their inexperience led to some of the mistakes that some people say were made in the investigation. I'm ready. Let's hear it. Well, because the Routier family didn't have a ton of money lying around at that point, Darley was initially represented by a pair of court appointed lawyers. One of the first actions is what many people say resulted in her conviction or one of the the things that led to her conviction. And that is her provided lawyers, they felt that the media attention the case had received in the Dallas area would make it difficult to find jurors that would be impartial. They figured, okay, everybody's heard heard about this out here, so we need to move it somewhere. Because Rowlett is in Dallas County, or a, a great majority of it is. Right. So So uh, they asked to have the trial moved to a new location. Well, the prosecution jumped at this. They said, great, we know the perfect spot. Uh Uh-oh. And it got moved to the town of Kerrville, widely known as a very conservative area, but with a very high conviction rate for capital murder cases, Mm -hmm. like the highest in the state. Yeah. So this starts to see like, okay, the, the prosecutors sometimes are seen as not so much caring about justice, but the scorecard. They want to make sure they get the conviction at all costs, whether, you know, right. whether the person is guilty or not is irrelevant. They're going to get that conviction if they feel they have a case. Yeah, and so it's, it sucks because it so shouldn't be that way. And we're not saying everybody is like that. Right. But there's always the bad people who give everybody else that bad yeah. name and... Mm, that's sad. Yes. Certainly there are some prosecutors with integrity out there. Absolutely. But, you know, smoke, fire, all those things. There are those people who all they care about is their career. And it has come at the expense of some convictions that shouldn't have been. Anyway, not trying to make it all about that. So it got moved to Kerrville. They were told at the time that the court only had room for that um, 
that that was the only location that had room for that case on such short notice. Um, one of the people that that investigated this after the fact, I mean, they called around and said, "No, you know, that's not that that's not the case. We have room at this place. We you know, call this other place, pretending to be. Oh no, we have room." So it was moved there on purpose. I think the other reason that the uh, the court-appointed lawyers that she had to start agreed to, to moving it to Kerrville. One of them had family in the area. He could go out and stay there, visit his family, have a free place to stay, and that money that's supposed to go to his per diem for his living expenses there, straight in the pocket. Yikes. Yikes, yikes, yeah. yikes. And, you know, the lawyers and the judge, people say they were talking about, um, you know, gun hunting in the area and stuff and all this, just, just chatting it up. Uh, while people in there are like, hey, this is my life here. And yeah, just, this is a big fucking deal. They're just good old boy in it uh, to the max. Um, and another thing about this location is that the, the courthouse was undergoing renovations at the time. So they moved it there despite the fact that the renovations were going on. They didn't have room for such a high-profile case. They didn't have room for that. They didn't have room for the journalists. They didn't have room for anything. There was no heat. It was a wintertime trial. There was no heat throughout the whole thing. So it was... But ass cold mm-hmm. inside the building the whole time, just freezing in there. Jeez. And last thing about moving the trial is that they said they had to find just somewhere on short notice. This thing got rushed to trial. Normally, a capital murder case, you're talking about a couple years before it even starts to go to trial. Typically, this yeah. was six months. That is really fast. Six months. So this happened in June. Uh, the conviction came down beginning of February. Wow. So it got sped through for some reason, and we're not exactly sure why. Air quotes, some reason. Yeah. Well, for this and other reasons, the family quickly started suspecting that these guys were not going to do the job well or well enough. The court-appointed lawyers. Right. So they got some money together, and they hired a big-time, high-profile defense attorney team headed by Doug Mulder and Richard Mosty. And Doug Mulder was the big name guy, and he was going to be the guy that was going to come in and kick ass and take names. Gotcha. They were very accomplished lawyers, but they may have been overconfident in their case based on some of the people's assessment of it. Again, I'm no legal expert, so I'm going off what all these people said. Sure. Um, they've been overconfident in their case based on the fact that some things that they let go in the trial and they didn't understand why. But the prosecution's case was based here on a few key points. First, there were some conflicts in Darley's statements. Police said she described the struggle with the intruder in two different locations. Was it on the couch? Was it in the kitchen? She said this to that person, this to that person. She told a friend that she saw someone over her running across uh, uh, the knife across her neck. Um, But her statement to the police said she only got a look at the guy as he was heading away from the couch. And she could only describe him as far as dark clothes on a cat. That's the best she could do. One of the biggest perceived conflicts was her assertion that she had slept. She was asleep and she woke up to this. Yeah. So that's a big question. Like, how do you sleep through your kids being stabbed? Right. Um, And some people say, well, maybe she was struggling and she passed out. You know, maybe part of this happened and she passed out. and She doesn't have a memory of some of those, you know, lost part of that time there. And she wakes up and there's a struggle or she wakes up and she's you know trying to chase him out. She comes to. But that was one of the big conflicts that they, that they pointed to in the case. Um, another big sticking point was the crime scene itself. So within 30 minutes on the scene, one of the lead investigators had already made up his mind that the crime scene was staged because of the way the items were, had been moved around and arranged in the room. Uh, a lot of people say that you don't, you don't know that. There's no way to know that. And some people feel that the investigation from that, all they were looking for was evidence that, that it was staged. And they basically had her pinned within 30 minutes of them arriving on the scene. Um, and that other evidence got ignored because of that. But this is one of the big things. The crime scene, they, they felt it was staged. Well, and also from all the different cases that I've ever reviewed, the number one suspects are going to be, one, the people that are there. So mm-hmm. if, you know, if you're coming into a situation and someone said someone just fled, you know, yeah, you're treating the people who are wounded dying, but also did, did that person even exist? Right. Because you're the mm-hmm. ones who are here right now. Mm-hmm. That's all I have to go on. Right. Yeah. But it also negates the fact that 
when you have first responders coming in, you have police, you have paramedics, EMTs, whatever, coming in trying to render aid. If there's a lamp in the in the way, if there's a vacuum cleaner or a table, sure. they're going to move that shit out of the way so they can try to help this I think kid that, also, that also speaks to um, some inexperience, too, because it's a crime scene at the same time. You have to, within reason, you have to, you know, yeah, you want to get to the person, but you got to, these people have to be trained to know to go in there and not jack up the scene how it is just try to get those people as easy you know as quickly as possible and render them aid without getting and moving stuff around and yeah that's a a hard call if there's a if there's a little kid bleeding to death on the floor even whatever training you have you're gonna you can give a shit about the crime scene you're trying to save his life so yeah but it's 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 true i'm not arguing that but it god the crime scene is so fucking important yeah and it was, I mean, they're going to be, uh, what's the word, um, contaminated. It's going to be messed with when mm-hmm. you have so many people traipsing around. Just her being there trying to help her kids, daring right. coming down, trying to help, right. uh, try to do or whatever. Who knows? You're, you, you're so tunnel vision at that point. Who knows what stuff you move just trying to, okay, yeah. So uh, they found a screen to a window in, in the garage that had been cut. But they didn't see like any of the dust on the windowsill or any of the of the mulch in the bed on the outside had been disturbed. So they thought, okay, maybe mm. she cut the screen and made it look like somebody came through there, but yeah. nobody actually came through there. Um, they brought in a blood spatter expert. And he determined that the blood evidence was inconsistent with how she described the events. Yeah. They also found some blood evidence in the sink where they spray the substance and they could tell where there was blood residue, even if you can't see it. Was that luminal, I think? That sounds right, based on what I read. Um, but it was if some, maybe some blood had been washed down the drain. I was about to say, yeah, because it wasn't, if they're having to use that to find it, mm. like, and it's not showing there, yeah. someone wiped it off. So it may have been that some blood had been rinsed down the sink, but Darley never made any mention of being at the sink in any of her reports. Sure. So next you have someone at the hospital told authorities they believe her injuries may have been self-inflicted. The bruising on her arms? Well, and the, oh, the cut. The, 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 cut the stab and the, and the slash on the throat yeah. and all the bruising. Yeah, how deep is that stab? I don't know the depth of the stab. So that's, that would um, be something I would wonder. So. How deep can you stab yourself? I don't know. I don't know. Um, the cut across her neck was very close to an artery, like we said. But the hospital or the physicians described it as, quote, superficial. Mm-hmm. So who's to say what the definition of superficial is? Like, she didn't die from it, so I guess it's superficial. Yeah. Uh, one of the doctors said that uh, the severe bruising that showed up on her arms eventually looked too new to have occurred at the time of the murders. So she must have hit her arms with something or had somebody do that to her to give her the bruises to give the appearance that she would have struggled with something. I'm trying to think, how, how could you determine if, if bruises were done at this hour versus this hour? Well, I mean, the when she got to the hospital, the bruises weren't there. And the police took pictures of her with the bruising. They're like, oh, it didn't look like that at the hospital or oh, whatever. Okay. So the bruising on different people takes different amounts of time to show up, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but they felt as though, you know, maybe she did that to herself to try to convince people that somebody else had come in and attacked her. And finally, they attempted to paint a picture of Darley being vain, self-absorbed, spoiled. Um, She's just over it with parenting. And she's unwilling to accept a sort of a diminishing lifestyle because of the money problems they were running into. Well, maybe you shouldn't have bought a Jaguar and a boat. Just saying. uh, Yeah. Um, you know, they use so sort of a sexist approach here in that they, they use the fact that she had bleach blonde hair, she had tattoos, big fake boobs, she liked to go out with her friends, that sort of thing, that she was just, you know, she cared more about herself than anything else. Her kids were a burden, and she killed them for their life insurance policies. That'll get to some other questions I have about life insurance, but I'm sure mm-hmm. you'll get to there. Yeah, and of course they showed the video of her smiling and laughing and spraying silly string. Next I bet to her it was zoomed screens. in on her face too. Oh, I bet it was. Yeah, and those were the main some of the main points of the prosecution's case. I want to actually take a look at that and see if we can find that real quick. Hold, please. 
oh, damn. Yeah, we're definitely going to link to that. That was... Um, now, obviously, that was part of, like, a, a news story or a documentary or something. Right. But, oh, my gosh, yeah. I mean, if you don't know anything other than the bare bones of the case, and then you see that, that's very damning in right. public opinion. In the way the prosecutor is framing it. If you, he you is, can, yeah, I can tell you that. You see that. Uh, in, 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 a view, in an interview with, I think, her sister talked about how Darley was just so hopped up on drugs because of the pain from her injuries and maybe to help with, you know, coping with everything too. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But on the way over there, her mouth was really dry because of the medicine. So somebody offered her some gum. Yeah. And then it turns into this talking point of the prosecutor. She was chewing gum. She wasn't crying. Of course, they didn't show the two hours that they were sitting there crying and, and, and consoling each other at the grave before that. They only show the party that they're doing. And anyway, there was some key evidence that had to be ignored by the prosecution to make their case try to stand. First off, the crime scene wasn't contained within the house. Mm-hmm. They found one of Darren's socks about 75 yards down the alley, and it had a spot of blood from each of the two boys. Yikes. But none of Darley's blood on it. Okay. So police first figured, okay, Darley must have carried it down there to make it look like the killer dropped the sock on the way off as he was running away. Why would he steal a sock? Maybe there I'm was just... blood evidence on it that he was trying to oak his blood, or maybe he'd used to clean the knife or something. And how would he think about that if he was running away so fast? Sorry, I'm already trying. In my mind, I'm yeah. punching holes in this, well, but go ahead. <laughs> they, they're, the, the holes punch themselves, and here's what I mean. So... There's a couple huge problems with the fact that he, that she or the idea that she carried it down there herself. Um, first off, there wasn't any of her blood on it, so how could she have planted it while she was losing a ton of blood? She was sure. stabbed; her her throat was slit. All those things. Um, she would have had blood from the boys on her that was probably dripping off. So how does she make it all the way from there, seventy five yards? That's a long ways with none of her blood between the house and there. So that sort of paints them into a corner. So they're like, well, she must have stabbed the boys, then run down the alley, planted the sock, run back, cut the window screen, stabbed and slashed herself, and then called 911. Okay. Well, the problem with this is that there just wasn't enough time. She was on the phone with 911 for almost six minutes. Paramedics found Damon still alive when they arrived. And the doctor that studied the severity of his wounds said that she... That I'm uh, sorry, he could not have lived more than nine minutes after he was first stabbed, but likely was more closer to six after he was first stabbed. So assuming he lived the full nine minutes after being attacked, subtract the length of the 911 call, plus there was uh, a minute, there was more than a minute from the time the, the first police officer got there to when they came in and started trying to attend to Damon, to the kids. Uh, you subtract those out, and that leaves only two minutes for Darley to stab the boys, go through the hole in the screen, hop her fence or go around through the gate, run 75 yards down the alley, plant the sock, run back, wash off the knife in the sink, uh, then stage the crime scene, then stab herself and everything before calling 911. Mm. I'm sorry to stop you, but where? what time frame is this that night when it, all this went down? It was 2.31 when the call came in. Okay. I was asking because I was thinking, you know, maybe somebody would have been in their backyard and hear someone running down the alley. So Yeah, most people are going to be yeah, asleep at that point. Yeah. So. so all good. Yeah. So the other evidence that had to be ignored was actually related to Darren. So if Darley was really willing to murder for insurance money why didn't she murder darren instead his policy was for eight hundred thousand while the boys only had ten thousand each on their policies and that wasn't even enough to cover funeral expenses and just saying darley's policy was for two hundred fifty thousand. just throwing that out there we also learned some other interesting things about darren after the trial we found out after she was convicted that he was prone to some shady business. Oh. And he'd been having some money trouble lately. So and I guess he wasn't doing so good with those circuits after all. Yeah, maybe the market had changed. I don't know. But we learned that uh, prior to the murders, 
He had actually committed insurance fraud in the past by staging a burglary. Oh. And we also learned that he'd been planning another one for their home for a time when they were going to be out of town on vacation. Oh, damn. For their house? Like, for, to make it look like... Yes. It's, wow. He had some debt piling up, so he needed to... He needed to pretend to have some stuff stolen so he could get the insurance money for Where it. Where do people think of this stuff? I Like, that never even enters my mind of, hey, I'm in a buying with money. Let me make it look like a burglar came in here so I can get some... I, I don't understand how people think like that. But apparently it worked the first time, Jesus. so... For their so, house? It was like a burglary at their house? I believe so, yeah. Wow. So, wow. did Darren's, like, criminal friend show up on the wrong day? Fuck. Maybe? Fuck. Uh, in panic, maybe. Jesus. And, or could it have been Darren who did it himself? Or did Darren want her insurance money? And the kids were just going to have to be... Oh, that's a whole new spin on it. And that wasn't investigated at all? This was after the trial? We didn't, we didn't find out about this. He, he in some, uh, affidavit wrote that this had happened in the past and apparently for some reason he had to admit admit to that along the way for some reason wow so yeah have you seen the movie fargo no sorry that's one of those that i haven't seen i know and this this is what it kept making me think of tell it for people who probably have yeah if you're listening to a true crime podcast you broadcast take two if you're listening to a true crime related podcast you've probably seen fargo but The short version is that this shady used car salesman gets in a bind with money. So he sets up to have some guys kidnap his wife, who is the daughter of a wealthy banker. Oh, okay. So to get the ransom money, and that all goes south in a a big hurry. And Steve Buscemi is is amazing in that movie. Okay. And uh, the woman who plays the... uh, the sheriff or the police officer that does forget her name, but she was really good in that movie anyway. Okay, I'll have to see it. But yes, that's what that makes me think of. Gotcha. So, people who were familiar with the work of her new defense attorney, Doug Mulder, said he just wasn't himself during this trial. There were things the prosecution sort of got away with, unchecked, that seemed to defy explanation. A couple examples. The defense had hired their own blood splatter expert guy, and he came up with the different determination from what the prosecution had. Mm. For some reason, though, he didn't testify to mm. dispute the testimony of the prosecution's witness. It's a big what? Yeah. Oh, and anyway, at that point, blood splatter analysis these days is kind of considered more of a performance art than it is a science. There's I just, didn't know that. There's so many variables. Kind of like dental things? like. I don't know about it, how it relates to dental, but... Uh, there have been a lot of cases that have hinged on blood splatter evidence that have they've gotten tossed, including oh, gotcha. a lot of ones that hinged on the testimony of this guy that the prosecution. So he's sort of been discredited to some extent. Since this? or previous? Since then. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Since then. Nurses at the hospital who cared for Darley testified that she was whiny during her stay there and... She didn't really show the type of behavior they felt would be typical for a mother who had lost her kids. How so? The notes taken during their shifts told a different story. So how so? Multiple witnesses from the hospital who testified she was flat and emotionless. They would say things like that. Uh, But on their charts that they wrote down at the hospital, they wrote notes like she was tearful, frightened, crying, sobbing, visibly upset, things like that. So they were testifying to something that differed from what they wrote down. Interesting. It's also worth noting to that point that she was extremely drugged up during her stay in the hospital and after her stay in the hospital, as the case may be, but it led to her not always making sense when she would talk. She would be out of it. And that included when she was being questioned by police. Oh, that that seems a little unethical. Yeah. And when she was recorded at her son's birthday thing, she was... She, yeah. Yeah, that's probably... She was like, happy birthday, yeah. spraying the thing. She was... Yeah. I she can was see, on a cloud. I can see how, just in that, even when you did it, that that almost sounds like someone who the prosecution was labeling as her, you know, self-absorbed, like, bimbo, blonde head, mm-hmm. big boobs. Oh, Everything's hey, fine happy now. Happy birthday, yay. Yeah, but then at, when after you explained that she was 
doped up on pain meds, yeah, you can interpret it that way. It's like all of a sudden there's a different viewpoint. Oh, hey, it could be this now. Yeah. And I may have been wrong when I said earlier that they didn't know it was being recorded. Prosecutor said she seemed to be enjoying the attention. Oh, yeah, that's so true. I might have been wrong. I, you know, something I read said that it was done surreptitiously without their knowing. Maybe it was without their, without their consent, but maybe they knew about it. I could be wrong there. But the real kicker with this thing from the hospital is that the people from the hospital that testified, all of them beforehand met with the prosecutor for what they called a, quote, brainstorming session. Yikes. Yes. Yeah, so that's seen by a lot of people, including the defense, as coaching, which is yeah. highly unethical. Yeah. But... Nothing ever came with their testimony was allowed. It was, nope, everything's fine, no problem. Just forget about it. Let's get this over with. Okay, I have to admit, up until this point, I've been thinking, oh, damn, she for sure did this somehow, some way. But the more you start talking about how the prosecution and things were omitting certain things, allowing others, coaching people that even though they looked their notes, they would see that what they're saying is differing from that, but just it seems like the ball was dropped a whole hell of a lot that makes it, you know, a little bit as human error. No, this seems very intentional. Yeah, I'm hitting the high points here. There's a lot more granular detail about stuff that went wrong or should have happened that didn't happen or vice versa. Um, Covered in the book that you're going to tell us about. Yeah, there's a a list of books. There are multiple books been written about the case. This case has been on TV a bunch, too, so... Um, but yeah, in any case, on February 1st, on 1997, she was convicted of murdering Damon. And on February 4th, she was sentenced to death by lethal injection. To this point, she hasn't been charged in Devin's death. Wow. Um, they figure, okay, well, if you're going to die for this one, you assume one, one goes for the other, but um, I guess that's the idea there. There have been appeal attempts over time. Of course, not none of them successful to this point. One attempt for a retrial that was, to me, astonishingly declined. Like, I, if I had to, you know, gun to the head, say which way, I'm thinking maybe she she didn't. I, that's the way I lean anyway. Um, but I think there's enough stuff that has gone wrong to where at least it deserves a new trial. Mm-hmm. This is one of those examples. The court reporter. Uh, huge embarrassing fail. So, and try to give her some grace in my mind because of what happened. She had actually requested the judge excuse her from this case because she had a lot of shit going on in her life, personal and family stuff going on, death in the family, that sort of a thing. Um, and health stuff. And she was like, Hey, I I can't do this one. I can't be out of town right now. And the judge is like, Nope, I need my whole team together. Come on, pack up. Let's go. Um, the transcript of the trial was found to have some 30,000 or so errors in it. 30,000. That's the, is it stenographer? Like the the little court thing that looks like a half of a typing machine that I have no idea. It's witchcraft how they use that and interpret it. I have (laughs) no idea. And then they have to make a transcript out of it, including like, a sound somebody made or a face they made, this sort of thing, you know. Oh, I didn't know they had to put that stuff if, in there. If, if somebody nods or that sort of thing. If, wow, that just took it. I mean, you're having yeah, to type out in real time what's happening. It's crazy. While also notating bot. Oh, wow. I, I had yeah. no idea they did all that. Um, she said at first there were no tapes because the recorder was messed up or the batteries died or something. I don't know. I, I don't have the record. I don't know how the recorder is messed up over the case of a month long trial. But, um, but yeah, but the, eventually it's like, well, she said, well, what if I said there were tapes? What? But there they no might tapes. be messed up. They're in some storage unit or garage in Plano or something, but they're all messed up because the recorder wasn't working well. Anyway, it was this huge debacle. Wow. The wow. transcript ended up being worthless. The state had to pay like 75,000 extra dollars to try to piece this thing back together. But because they didn't have recordings, there's no way to know how accurate it was. That seems grounds for a new trial right there. Yeah. Plus, because she didn't have the recordings to go back and check, you know how the jury will 
if they get stuck, they'll ask a question and they send it back. The court reporter will thoroughly go over their recordings and make sure they're giving the correct answer. What did this person say happened at X point when Taught they were asked? It. And then they send that back, I guess, through the bailiff, the answer to the jury. Gotcha. This is a very important question. She gave them the wrong answer. It was like a yes or no thing. She gave she them the, the absolutely wrong, wrong, factually wrong answer. And it was a pretty material fact to the case. Yay, yay, yikes. Okay. So, so yeah, that answer. <laughs> <laughs> my water just went through my nose. Sorry. We had to pause it for a second oh, there. Burns. And I came back and, and um, apparently, Ow. <laughs> apparently that was funny. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> that answer may have swayed some of the jurors, jurors to convict Darley. Say that again. That answer may have swayed some of the jurors to convict Darley. Because it was completely wrong. It was incorrect. So it's, you know, it could have been that witness lying that, you know, that if a witness lies under oath and it's a material to the case, wouldn't that be grounds for retrial? Yeah. Retrial. That's, that's one of the points. And there are a ton of things like that. So that's why if I start to think, hmm, yeah, I'd lean toward her being innocent or at least the very minimum, give her another shot to where all of the evidence can be presented. Mm-hmm. Individuals and organizations, a bunch, have tried to help her along the way, including the Innocence Project that you had brought up the other day and mm-hmm. you were talking about something. That's as of April this year, the Innocence Project decided to get involved. Wow. They're, currently, they've done it before and they've had new orders. Both defense, her current representation and prosecutors are like, hey, yeah, let's make sure we get this right. Send out the DNA. And, of course, technology has come a long way since this trial. So um, it's been 24 years, I think, she's been on death row. A long time that the uh, technology has absolutely come a long way since then. So they're currently studying the DNA somewhere. But, of course, DNA for an old case is not going to take precedence over someone like an active case that's currently being tried. So there's no priority there. And Darlie Routier continues to maintain her innocence, which is almost unique for mothers accused of killing one or more of her children. Oh. Normally, the, even if they plead uh, innocent, down the line, they're like, yeah, I did it, you know, for whatever reason. Um, Full but body she, shiver there. Yeah. She has given a ton of interviews and they've made it into books and TV shows. Here's a list of books about the case. One of them is Precious Angels, A True Story of Two Slain Children and a Mother Convicted of Murder. That's a really long book title. It was written by Barbara Davis, and it lays out the case for Darley's guilt. But since then, since it's been published, she's changed her mind. She redacted? Yes, she's like, oops, sorry about that. So she's been trying to help her. The proceeds to the book have been going to the family. Oh, my. That's good. Yeah. The one I read was called Dateline Purgatory, Examining the Case that Sentenced Darley Routier to Death. That's by a Texas journalist by the name of Kathy Cruz. And she goes and interviews a ton of people, including uh, Barbara Davis, who wrote that other book, family members, lawyers, people, you know, former FBI people looking at the case. It keeps a lot of people up at night, like trying to bash their head against the wall. How can this, you know... That was not the best... um phrase to use there but <laughs> yes figuratively okay <laughs> hitting your head against the wall another book is called bloodstained justice the darley routier story and that one's by wanda g davis and she talks about the overlooked evidence in that one and there's another book called darley routier deaths of damon and devon that one's by pamela lillian valamont and they all have some sort of colon in there like boom boom and then something really long Interesting, huh? Yep. When you've got want to say a lot in the book title because you know people won't know what you're talking about unless you put a bunch of extra information in the book title. Sorry, I'm really fighting back having a, a funny sexual joke with the boom boom. There's a long thing there. That's what she <laughs> said. Like, yeah. Followed by a long thing. <laughs> so you go ahead and make jokes about this very I'm not serious a joke topic. About this topic. Mm-hmm. I'm making jokes about what you said. Mm-hmm. Boom boom. Followed by a long thing. <laughs> Everybody say wayo. Well, that would be boom, boom, boom. Everybody say wayo. Go. The case has been on a bunch of TV shows and stuff as well. 
Medical Detectives on TLC, Unsolved Mysteries, 48 Hours. Some by uh, some guy named by the hmm. <laughs> a guy by the name of Werner Herzog. Have you heard that name before? We have. We've discussed him on this show. That's right, haven't we? Mm-hmm. There's a thing he did called On Death Row on the Investigation Discovery Channel. There's a four-part episode of The Last Defense on ABC, and it's been on 2020. Wow. And there's also a short film made by a, I'll say kid. He was a teenager from Rockwall, which is a suburb near Ballet. Mm-hmm. And he was actually in law school at the time. So one of those people that's like, hey, I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to graduate high school early, that sort of thing. He's gotten real, real, real into it himself. So he made a film about it. He's like, hey, let me get access to the evidence. There was a new story not too long ago. Tora Judge had actually denied him full access to all the evidence, saying, okay, well, some of the evidence might be damaged. There might still be appeals, that sort of a thing. So it's not really, you oh, know. okay. So, but he's trying to get access to everything because he's like, I'm going to solve it. Speaking of true crime memes, he's that yes. guy. I'm going to solve this case. Um, Darren did divorce her in 2011. That was my next question. Um, the youngest kid... I want to make sure I say his name. Drake. Drake. Yes, he has grown up. You know, he's known his mom. He's gone out to see her some, but not you know too often. Uh, but he lives lived with his dad, and uh, he's just had to grow up living with his dad and you know, sort of knowing what happened and and you know I love my mom and that sort of a thing. And she's tried to be involved in his life as much as she can, like writing letters to his teachers and and writing letters to him and stuff Mm -hmm. but where is she in huntsville no she is in a correctional facility called mountain view where's that it is in a town called gatesville which is west of waco so central texas okay and it's an all-female correctional facility gotcha and she's seen death row inmates come and go people have been executed you know she's made friends with some of them and she's she she sort of got a job there working out in the garden and she does devotionals and talks with inmates through the pipes and in yeah sort of a finding dory thing but pipe wow. yeah she's just she's remaining hopeful and, and and tries to say you know I'm remaining faithful God's still good hopefully everything will turn out but yeah she says I'm innocent and there's a lot of people who believe her and, and are still trying to help her get a new trial and and um, get there, off a of death row. Is there any kind of new trial in the works? All that I'm aware of right now is that they're studying DNA evidence. Okay. I don't think there's currently any other review. There was a DA that was voted in and then somewhat quickly voted out in, in Dallas, and he started a, um, a program. This is something, one of the things he ran on. I'm going to start this program to to make sure the people that convicted aren't being put to death unfairly. The but Innocence Project, essentially. It's sort of like that, but it was within Dallas County. And, within Dallas, and, gotcha. Um, it was part of the... the um, His campaign. Yeah, and it's part of their office. It's, part of the, it's a government thing, not a charity. Okay. But he said they looked at the case, and they feel the evidence of the case points that, that she was fairly convicted. Interesting. Yeah. I want to I really want to go and watch a documentary on this now like like and get more of those you know details with this because I don't know I let me just put it this way I hope it wasn't her you know I mean obviously it happened I hope it wasn't her you know right. and I hope they can catch if it was somebody else something else but if it was her then I just I can't imagine it yeah and there's just been, there have been things that just haven't been looked into. For example, like I said, there I, I told you there's a bunch of other stuff. This lady that wrote the book that I was saying, she heard from somebody else that said, okay, well, this other guy, this other inmate told me one time that, that he was the one that did it. So before they could track any of that down, he had actually killed himself. So That's convenient. Yeah. For the story. Yeah. So there's there's just so many different things 
that that point in different directions. And there have been enough people that have said, "Look, we reviewed the evidence. It, you know, it. We believe she she was guilty of this crime." And but there's all these other things out there going. Yeah, but what about this? And what about that? What about that? So hopefully. DNA like, will. Hopefully, Dina will shed some light on it. Let me put it that way, because yeah. the most important thing is that, that justice is done, and, and for somebody to be put to death, to death unjustly, which has happened. Absolutely. Um, sometimes we don't know until after the fact that DNA events exonerates somebody, but it's too late. So what do you think? Do you think she's guilty or not guilty? I'd have to go back to not being sure, but if I had to lean one way, it would I would lean toward, I don't think she did it i was gonna ask you what's your feeling on this it's hard to know based on you know what the things that we do know but what's your feeling there's part of me that wants to say i don't think she's guilty but then there's an overwhelming part of me that's like i think she is now motive that's a whole nother thing we can get into you mentioned about the insurance that the kids only had 10,000 life insurance. So that's definitely not going to help you out financially. Not, you know, not, I hate to say this, worth it um, to do that. Right. And then I wonder about the husband, if he was in on it, did he do that and then try to, you know, was he the one holding her down? Or did some random person really come in and just... Yeah, and how much of it had she blacked out? Did she pass out and miss important key things? Um, was there more than one attacker? Because at some point, Darren says uh, he swore he saw a police officer, but the timeline puts it to where the police might not have been there yet. So maybe was there somebody else that was still in the house and they didn't know it? The front door was unlocked. They found blood on the handle of the door to let the police in, but there wasn't any blood on the deadbolt unlock it so that tells us the front door was was probably unlocked so why was it left unlocked was it left unlocked intentionally oh that was that's a wicked twist right there is that how the second person got out all these theories float around right yeah um the other thing to motive was that she was tired of being a mom Right. So what if it wasn't about the money? She was just tired of being mom. She was sick of having to deal with these kids. Which kid needs the most attention? The The older ones or the seven month old? Because she kills the older ones and doesn't kill the seven month old. Well, also the the baby's upstairs with the husband. So if he wasn't in on it and she did it, then that would be probably why she didn't go after well we say he was upstairs with him he we don't know if the baby was like in a crib in the same room with him they oh. were just both upstairs he okay. might have been in a nursery something and this is all just it's all yeah and what if this or what if mm-hmm. that but it's really and you that, can spend hours and hours what if in this case i really i want to see the evidence now because i don't with everything you've told me about them making so many big mistakes and things kind of being put into place that were in favor of the prosecution versus the defense right? Um, and not about the case. It was more about getting it prosecuted, you know, getting right. a win. Yeah, exactly. That certainly then puts the balance out of, you know, justice being done and they, they convicted her, that kind of loses its power if they were doing all these things to make it that way. You know what I mean? It's like right. they, they won unfairly almost. Um, I'm, I don't know. I, I can't, obviously can't definitively say one way or another, but there's, there's a part of me that thinks it was just a little too, too convenient, the story, um, I don't know how the hell the sock got out there, but as far as the other stuff, she, she could be in there, could definitely have sliced it open. She could definitely have done the thing, uh, killed her kids, and then she could have sliced her neck and could have stabbed herself and, like you said, banged up her arms to make it look like someone. I mean, I've heard people doing worse to try to get away with things, so... I guess it wouldn't surprise me either way. Yeah. If she wasn't guilty, 
I, if somehow we learned, okay, we know DNA evidence came back, whatever. We know for a fact now she didn't do it. Mm-hmm. I would be super just surprised to learn if Darren wasn't involved somehow. Yeah. Because those are some really stinking coincidences. Mm-hmm. They just smell awful. A, that he had already committed the, the insurance fraud previously. He's talking to known criminals like, hey, you know, trying to get this set up with people. And then it was supposed to happen like the next week that they were going to go on vacation, something like that. It was a week before they were going to go on vacation in summertime. So, and for something like this to be random. Yeah. And then all the anomalies that the police did notice between what she saw and said versus what the evidence, like... It's hard to, to see where somebody might have come in unless the front door was unlocked. Was right. it unlocked by mistake? And somebody, how would somebody know the front door was unlocked? Right? To come in. And why would somebody just randomly come in and stab kids and, and hurt her if it wasn't her? Yeah. And why would they kill the kids but leave her? And you said she was stabbed in like her shoulder? In the shoulder. I didn't see exactly where. But see, the, you that, could see that she still has the mm-hmm. scar. So that's superficial, but it was a big, like, almost all the way across her neck. And see, that that's another part of it, too, that makes me kind of, eh, because I'm, I can imagine, I mean, shoot, they did it on Scream, you know, where they stabbed themselves to make it look like the, the killer. Do you remember Scream? Did you ever watch? Um, oh, Lord. Okay, so, spoiler alert, the killers at the end start slicing each other up to make it look like they were attacked by the murderer even though they were the murderers so i mean someone could do that someone could stab themselves yes. definitely make it look mm-hmm. like that i mean to cut your throat you pretty much if you do it you know the wrong way which is pretty easy i'm sure to do you're gonna die regardless of whether they come mm-hmm. and get you or not so the fact that it wasn't as deep you know I superficial, I guess, to me means it didn't like go through all the layers of the skin. Like it was maybe there's a medical definition of superficial. Yeah, yeah but that it seems like if someone was trying to make it like that, certainly they wouldn't. Yeah, in some of these cases, people are damn near decapitated when they when their throat yes. is cut, you know, by someone else. Yeah, and I, you know, maybe she didn't do that to herself. Maybe they were starting to cut her as she came to and, and started fighting him. And that's why it wasn't as deep. Uh, I don't know. Darren pointed out in one of his interviews that if she had died of her injuries, then they would have been looking at him. True. True. So he's like, this could have just as easily been me that was you know, quote unquote railroaded for it. And the other thing, if it was truly random, then it can happen to any family in any location. Yeah. Anything can. Yeah. But maybe there's this, a unreasonable desire for this to have been related to something that was, that was already going on with them, that they, one of them was responsible for it in some way. Because so then it's because then there truly was random, and then somebody just got away with it. Does Darren think that his wife is innocent or his ex-wife? Yes, he does. That's what he says. Gotcha. Well, that was a an emotionally jarring one, but that's that was one that has a lot of. I can see the debate that people go back and forth. Yeah. I. I definitely want to learn even more now about it, read some of those books and get those finer details. But we definitely love to know what y'all think. And Absolutely. Yeah. Check out the, uh, keep an eye out for the, the pictures that we'll post there. Yes. And um, would love to hear what you think about this case because there's so much intrigue to it and so much uncertainty. So Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, guys. But thank you again for listening. We Thanks. love y'all. Bye.